Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. It's Roger Abel with Elias Randall. Elias, how's it going today? Hello, Roger. How are you? I'm good. Hey, so I, I read this outline, and I can't believe we're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about Harry Dent again. I think I vowed a few episodes ago, maybe like six, that we're never going to talk about him again. But Harry gonna... Dent? Yeah, he's a... He should just get out of the financial services business, but... Well, that's my opinion. I think it's meaningful because really the goal for today is you know, I ran across an article and it was it was the 12, the 12 things you should do to improve your financial decision making. And before I even read through this, I just thought to myself, the first thing someone should do is create a media filter and figure out who you're going to listen to and who you're not. And right now. Based upon what's happening in the market, there's been a lot of volatility. I know two weeks ago or three weeks ago on our, on our podcast, we posed the question, is this over? Because the market had basically retraced about half of the losses. And we explicitly said on the show, this isn't over. Don't expect that this is Goldilocks and it's over. Expect more volatility. That's exactly what we're getting. But what I'm seeing now are the people that had made have made predictions for the better part of a decade or two decades are really piling on it right now, which makes sense. I mean, let's think about what Harry Dent does. He, the last 10 years, he's tried to make a career by predicting negative things. And he's been absolutely wrong on all of them. Eventually he'll be right. The stock market's down. You're right. He's calling in his latest post, he's calling for a 96% or the NASDAQ to be down 92% and the S and P down 86%. That literally puts the S&P 500 like it's 600 points. It put the Dow it like, I don't even know, like 4,200. That would be lower than 2008. Like it just doesn't even make sense. Um, but then later he talks about, hey, expect it to be down 50 to 60. Well, well, what is it? And this is the beauty of this. And this is what I want everybody to remember. You can burn me at the stake if I'm wrong. So, and that's one of the, that's the most consistent, well, he's consistent on a couple things. He's always predicting huge market crashes or corrections, and he always has some sort of ridiculous line about, you can burn me at the stake if I'm wrong. I'm going to quit my job this time if I'm wrong. He doesn't have a job. And ultimately, Harry Dent is a book salesman and a newsletter salesman. That's what he, he wants subscribers to his newsletter and he wants to sell books. So you don't, you don't sell those things by just, you don't sell those things without exciting people, right? People buy stuff on emotion. So if he, if he were like truly given good advice and talking about how capital markets really work, I mean, logistically, how does the market go down almost 90% from here? How much there's really that many people willing to sell good companies and not own good investments? I that doesn't make any sense to me. It, I, I it it could happen. I, I don't see a path to that whatsoever. So the whole point of this is you need to know who you're taking your information from. This guy's easy to follow, and he he basically tries to prey on your emotions. That's what he's doing to people. People are really nervous, so. He's basically giving you permission to cash out your investments. That's what people are looking for. Think about the average investor. They're trying to figure out what they should do. What should I do? 
Well, you should have a portfolio recovery strategy. If you don't have one, you can go to btwellshow.com. We'll help you get one, but you should have a strategy for what you're going to do to come back. Not, Hey, cash out and go to cash for two years. Cause that's what he's telling people to do. Sell everything, go to cash and buy back at the low in two years. So here's what I thought would be great. And for some reason, think advisor. So I'm calling them out. They keep printing this garbage. Like, Think Advisors, a financial advisor publication that we subscribe to, they keep putting this guy on the front page. And quite frankly, I can't figure out why. So I went back and Think Advisor actually had his last 10 predictions. Let's go through the, what they were. And I always thought he was predicting bear markets. This is how wrong this guy is. In 1999, he predicted the roaring 2000s. He said by, th by the end of uh, 2010, the Dow would be at 35,000. So are you looking at a, can you send me that article? So no, I know what you're no, I totally at. cut you out. You just get to react. <laughs> okay. This is the pre-meeting. Pre so 1999, he predicted that the market, the, the Dow Jones would be 35,000 by the end of the decade. It started at, uh, the Dow Jones started at 10,000 or 11,497 and finished at 10,428. He literally, Elias during the only 10 year period of time that the market has seen a negative rate of return, he predicted it was going to go up 300%. So he was wrong. One. Were we supposed to burn him at the stake when he was wrong that time? Well, here's what's interesting. He started out on the side of trying to be optimistic. And I think he realized nobody was buying books when he's optimistic. So if I just be a doomsday predictor, I'm going to be able to scare enough people to buy this stuff. I have, so, and I agree with that. You're going to sell more books by being a doomsday predictor. 2006, he said, this is the next great bubble boom, meaning he thought it was just his upward prediction was still going to happen. Well, we all know what happened in 2008 and nine. It crashed. 2008, he said the next great depression's ahead. Really? The market's already down. He predicted a, a depression. The Dow Jones went from 6,547 points in 09 to 35,927 in 2001. At the same time, he predicted a depression. Let me keep going. And arguably for the last 10 to 12 years, we've had a really growing economy and a stock market that that went up. So, I mean, that 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 prediction couldn't be ex like any more opposite than what really happened. December 2016, he predicted Dow 5000. He predicted Dow 5,000 in 2016. We finished around 19,000. 2017, major crash within three years. He was well, right. Kinda. And it crashed, but guess what? Came back and hit all-time highs 90 days later, so it didn't matter. But within three years of that, there was probably, uh, I don't know, what, what was the correction and covid it was over 30 percent, right yeah it was about twenty-seven thousand on the dow it dipped down 17 18 you could have bought it and then it instantly went back up north of twenty-eight thousand. there you go we got on base that time march 2021 biggest crash ever by the end of june didn't happen no november 21 stock market crash early 2022 it went down but it wasn't a crash in early 2022 and it hasn't crashed yet we're in a bear market so what I'm saying is the last 10 predictions this guy's made for the last two decades have all been wrong. Why would someone listen today other than they want 
they want some them someone to give them permission to get out of the market because it makes them feel better. Everybody that's knowledgeable about this counsels people on how these market cycles work. And hey, look, he could be right. The market can do anything. But you've always posed the question, Elias, do you really think American companies are going to get worse at making money? Yeah, I personally don't believe that's going to happen. I don't believe happen. that either. Warren Buffett always asks the question, do you think prices will be higher in 10 years than they are today? And if you think the market will be higher in 10 years than, than, you are, than, than it is today, then you've answered your own question. So let's kind of get into, I don't want to beat up Harry Dent more, but keep this guy out of your mind. Don't listen to the doom and gloomers. If you think about the stock market, we've been in a perpetual bull market. There's been cycles where the markets went down or in a bear market, but we're in like a long-term bull market. It's gone up. Look at the prices in 1929 to today. It's a straight trend lineup. If you drew a line through the averages, it'd be just a nice gradual lineup. Nowhere in there does it dip down and stay down forever. And the thing and regarding that, and we talk about it a lot, no matter how much we talk about it, and it's painful to go through, but I think this year is a good example. I think investors are doing a really good job this year of just sticking to the course, at least the people we work with and a lot of people that I know. They're, they're doing the right things that are, that are going to pay off over the long term. And I, I feel like people hear that and they hear it from advisors. Well, you guys always just talk about the long term. Well, part of that, and when you talk about long-term trends, the only way to man, in my opinion, the best way to manage volatility in the market is time. So if you stick it out, you, your returns over time are going to be good. And I had someone, I actually had someone call me out on that recently. They said, oh, so you just think if you just stick it out long enough, everything will be okay because time's on your side. I go, yeah, absolutely. That's what I believe. Well, that's BS. I said, that's fine. You have a different opinion. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. It doesn't mean that you're right or wrong either. I think I know who this is. Who? He's a trader, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is where you have to ask people, are you a trader or are you an investor? I know this individual is. He's a trader. Right. And he thinks he can outperform and, and the market. And my guess is if I went and looked at his track record, which I could, it probably doesn't outperform the market. Uh, no, probably not. Because, and here's why I know that. 80% of actively managed mutual funds don't outperform the market. So I, this is the other thing. People people think they're going to trade their way out of this or, you know, if I would have bought it low and I would have sold it here, I'd have done so good. I've heard this. People think they can like time the market or get in and out of stocks. Everybody listening, think about this. If you think you can do this better than a professional, I'm telling you, you're wrong. Here's why. You can call me out. Show me your returns. You're wrong. Here's why. The top mutual funds in the world that are actively managed, so some of the greatest minds in our industry, all of the support staff, all of the research that's there, only 20% of those funds have outperformed the S&P 500 over, over 10 years. 20%. So, right. So what is, how yeah, are you going so to, the you probability a, you're of, going to Rockwell and I'm not beating up Rockwell, just you're going to Rockwell and you're working full time and you're going to come home and you're going to be a trader and you're going to outperform this group. You know, it's. Our industry is the only industry that people can think they can do it themselves because they don't want to pay someone to do it. They think that's what's going to predicate their success. They're wrong. We're also the only industry when the stock market goes on sale, everybody runs and hides. 
And I, I think- mean, I see ads like, oh, 25% off, like my, my hunting gear company, one of the companies I order stuff from, 25% off site-wide. People are flocking to that website today to order this hunting gear. How many people are flocking? Like, man, the market's down 25%. I got to go buy it today. They're thinking exactly the opposite. S- sav- savvy investors are doing that. There, there's, Some, pe- there, there's, pe- there's people buying. Um, there, there's still, yeah, there's still plenty of people that are still waiting to deploy cash or w- whatever, whatever their strategies going well, having, to be. And I'm not immune. I'm not immune to any of those feelings either. I mean, like at the beginning of this year, do I think about, okay, maybe I should hoard some cash or maybe I should sell some stuff. I think about stuff like that, but I always go back to my core investment philosophies and I've just, I decided, and I'd, I decided this a long time ago. I'm just not going to do things that are outside of my core fundamental investment philosophies. And if I stick within that, I'm going to be happy with the long-term result. And, you know, but I, I personally go through the same emotions other people do. Probably the difference is I just know better and I've trained myself to not react and not do those things. Cash right now is underrated. Cash is a good asset to have. It is. I mean... You're not losing money on it. But at the same time, you can't keep it forever. You can, but you're just getting a road, a road to inflation. And I'm not advocating that everybody takes all their money and put it in the stock market today. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm advocating if you plan on investing money, there's no reason you wouldn't put a plan together to get the money in the market. Maybe it's a dollar cost average over six months or you're putting some buying prices where I'm, hey, if it hits this, I'm going to put a third of my money. If it goes here, and that can go both ways. So I've done this for clients before. They bring a large, large amount of money. We have one we're working with right now. Gave us a pretty large check. Great. We're going to put a third in today. We put a third to work. This is a month ago. Put a third to work. Well, what did we do last Friday? We put more money to work. We've still got more bullets in the chamber. And I t- told the client, he asked if we we're going to put more in. I'm like, yeah, but we want to keep some bullets in the chamber. And he laughed. He goes, well, there's more bullets where that one came from. But <laughs> but that's what you should do. Let's is get just, those ready. Just think about like if you're if you're putting money in and you, have, you came into some money, or you have a large deposit, you don't have to put it in all at once. You can layer this into the market. Maybe you get a lower price. Maybe it's a higher price. You should set it higher too. Hey, if the market goes up 5% from here, I'm still going to put some in. Because we've talked about how hard the market can be to buy when it starts to go. People tried to get it. It's what ran the market up in the end of June. The market, market got back half of its losses in June. Why? Because people started to buy and people had FOMO, fear of missing out. Like, man, if this goes, I got to get in. So have a plan to put the money into the market versus just winging it. Yeah, well, a strategy, any sort of strategy is going to be better than winging it or just flying blind or I'm just going to, or I'm going to wait just for the sake of waiting. If you're going to wait, but you have defined entry points or you have some sort of defined strategy, I can get with that because at least you have a plan. But just having but having no plan, if you're going to be an investor, having no plan to get in, well, then you're just, I mean, at that point, you're not really an investor. You just need to be on the sideline. I think that cash. I think that leads into this article I read about how to make good financial decisions. And some things stood out to me when I started to read this. We don't realize it. 
but um, there's estimates out there that we're making on a daily basis about 35,000 different decisions. In one day? 2,000 per hour, but there's some examples. You have to decide what you're going to eat. That's one. What am I going to wear? What time am I going to shower? Am I going to brush my teeth? Am I going to shave today? Am I going to get Starbucks? What kind of Starbucks? Like all those little decisions. So you start to think about just stuff cluttering your mind. And when I read this, the first thing that came to mind, and I don't know if you remember this, but about a year or two ago, Elon Musk sold all of his real estate and moved into a tiny house. I think at the space, is it, I think it was at SpaceX. And they were talking about how he was trying to just simplify his life and declutter. So he had to make less decisions so he could solely focus on getting to Mars or whatever his master plan was. Well, if he's trying to declutter, how many decisions are we making? I mean, you think about that and then are you making good decisions? So what this article is about is, hey, here's 12 ways to help you make great decisions. And the first thing on here, and part of the reason I like this article is because of Harry Dent. Like you have to decide whether you are going to believe in that or not. You're going to have to decide whether you should invest your money. You should decide if you, you're going to have to decide, is this risk tolerance really what I want? So how do we help people make those decisions to make them financially strong for a very long period of time? And the first thing in here, you know what the first thing is going to be, Elias. It's have a holistic financial plan. And sometimes on the show, we get away from it, but we're a firm believer that you should map out a plan. Having a financial plan is no different than Bill Belichick going to the Super Bowl and having a game plan. Like when he goes into that game, he spent tons of time preparing for all the situations that could happen. Does that mean it's going to work out exactly like he dictated in the game plan? No, it probably won't. Thus, the reason all the plans we do are dynamic plans means they're changing all the time. You know, if Bill Belichick gets down 17 to nothing at the end of the second quarter, I'm going to guess he's going to change the game plan. Conversely, if he's up 30 to zero, he's probably changing the game plan. So you should do the same thing with your financial plan. You should have a really good plan that helps you you know, save more money, budget better. All of those things you could do with the financial plan gives you better outcomes. In the world of, in the doctor world, I've got friends who are doctors, they're always talking about outcomes. You know, that it's outcome-based. You know, what's the outcome that we're looking for for our clients? If you think about the optimal out- outcome for our clients, it's to live all the way through retirement with dignity, the way they want to live, the lifestyle they want to live, not run out of money and potentially pass or leave a legacy to their heirs. That's the optimal outcome for us in most cases. Yeah. The the second bullet bullet point here that says research has found that people who are maintaining a financial plan make better decisions and have better financial outcomes. I think we can speak to that, that our clients that really engage in the planning process and not only guided by it, but they use they use our planning process to help them make financial decisions in their life. I think those are probably our most successful clients. And I think all these other things are true. They save more money. They're better investors. They use debt appropriately. And they maybe don't have like a budget on a spreadsheet, but they know what they need to do to live their lifestyle. And then they're also doing some other prudent investor things, which they're actually delegating that to us. But 
you know, strategically owning certain assets, rebalancing, just doing all the small things that are, they're kind of behind the scenes because it's not as like in your face as what the market's doing or your, or the returns you're getting. But I don't think I could, I couldn't agree with that more. The people who participate in a plan and engage with it are more successful. Number two, and I'm, I'm not always great at this one. In fact, I made a decision this morning. And then after I sent the email to you and Molly, I'm like, maybe I should think about that for a minute. But it's slow down and give yourself time to be rational. Some people have to make a decision about something and they just want to go with a knee-jerk reaction. Sometimes that's right. Sometimes you should slow down and say, okay, if this is an important, especially if it's an important decision, like what kind of coffee you're going to get, who cares? But if it's an important decision, you might want to give yourself 24 hours to think that decision through and think through all the scenarios that could happen, especially if it doesn't have to have a decision, you know, if you don't have to make the decision right away. Like when I sent that email to you guys, I was driving, which I shouldn't be reading my email when I'm driving. But no, you should not do that. <laughs> well, I was, actually, I was parked at Blake's school. So, but I, I, I just made a knee-jerk reaction as to what could happen. Then I started driving away thinking about it. I'm like, maybe in this scenario, I wouldn't want it to be that way. So I think, you know, when you're making a decision and it, and it doesn't have to be made right away and it's important, maybe think about using the 24-hour rule. I think you do the 24-hour rule. I do. I do. And I do. So I do the 24-hour rule on if I'm on the fence about something or I think it's a decision that I'm just I'm not quite there. 24 hour rule. And then in regards to investing in finance, it's a lot of times I might read an article or something and I think, okay, I should go buy that or I should maybe do that. So I kind of do the 24 hour rule. And then I also have a rule where like, if that thought doesn't come back to me in 24 or 48 hours, I'll just move on from that. Cause it really wasn't that prudent or important anyway. Uh, three, be wary of your emotions and as human beings, we hold emotions on our sleeve. Like we all are emotional, whether we show it or not, we all have emotions. You know, it could be optimism, confidence, enrichment, stress, loss, fear, greed, all those different emotions we, we have. But those emotions can actually steer you towards the wrong decision a lot of times. Um, if you think about people in general, people in general are very risk averse. Naturally, we're risk averse people. And it's shown by what happens in markets. A market goes on sale, but we don't want to take advantage of it because we see risk there. But conversely, there are times that human beings are much too optimistic even when all the odds are against them. 2021 is a good example of that in well, the investing environment. I'm going to think about something even, even more simple than that. The odds of winning the Powerball or the Mega Millions is extremely low. Yet, when it's $50 million, nobody plays, like few people play. When it hits a billion, everybody starts playing. They start throwing money at it. I'll buy $200, 300 400 you're optimistic because you think you're going to win this money. You're not going to win this. But you might. You what can't I'm win saying if you is don't people, play. You can't win every if you don't single play. person. I'm just say that. I promise you, every person that buys a ticket, they're like, man, I'm going to win tonight. <laughs> I, I well, love what it. You, when, what when would the, you when, do? What, what would we do with the money if we won tonight? That's what every single person buying a ticket's doing. 
Yeah. Did you go to and work I tomorrow? I, I, I mean, do. Yeah, I'm terrible. I do the same thing. I typically don't play the lottery, but if it gets high enough, of course I go buy a ticket. You're optimistic that dry, you could win. I'm leaving the gas station with my ticket thinking, man, what am I going to do if your, I actually win? Your odds yes. never changed, but now you're more optimistic you could win because the money's higher. Right. And I already How, know. I mean, I know I'm not going to win, but I still I still think it's fun. And I like going through the exercise of, well, what would I do? It's fun to think about. Well, yeah, when it gets big, I buy two. That's how I know it. That's how I know this emotion. But you should be really wary of your emotions when you make decisions. And that's why just having the 24 hour rule a lot of times helps you separate that emotional decision from, you know, the rational decision. Hey, Elias, four on this list is make financial decisions as part of a system of choices. Um, and a lot of times you you can, there's all these different factors. So if you can kind of put a way to make the decision, maybe you play it through a scenario, play it through your mind and play all the different choices that could happen. So just think about, okay, I'm going fishing today and I'm going to fish for bass. Well, the choices, do I use a topwater lure a spinnerbait or a worm on the bottom. And then I make That's the a great question. I have no idea what the answer is. No, but I'm is. just relating to what I do. So then, then I start to have all these choices. Well, what's the water temperature is the sun out what time of year. And that's how you make a good decision as to what you can do versus you just go out there and say, well, today I'm going to throw a top water and I hope it works out. So it's that's same not thing. a good way to make that choice. It's hor Well, I mean, it might be could get lucky. It's the same way with financial decision-making. If you just say, well, this one had the best return in the last 10 years, this is what I'm going to pick. Might work out. But you didn't have a systematic way to make those decisions. You know, you know me, I like to work off a systemized process to deliver a really good outcome. And none of that really revolves around hoping and wishing and all those kind of like desperate words that people have about retirement. Try to quantify it and give them a level of confidence as to how this is going to work and how we go through the decision-making process. Yeah. We are, we are system guys, right? We like to run a system. That's what you're saying. Not like a coaching term. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're in football now. I'm going between it's football, football and fishing. Yeah, it's we're, fall. We're, we're system guys. We like to run a system. And that really leads into five, think through all the various possible, possible outcomes. So it's really important to say, Hey, if I make this decision, what could happen? What are all the good things? What are all the bad things? I remember, a mentor of mine said, when you're making a decision, a good thing to do is just write a T-chart for each option. So pros, cons, pros, cons. So let's say you're looking at two houses. What are the pros and cons of this one, the pros and cons of this one? Whoever has the most pros and the least amount of cons, that's what you take. Simple enough. But that's a process, and those are the outcomes that could happen. Um, six, consider how regret influences decisions. So this is, as one of my friends eloquently um, told me, this is FOMO. Like, if I don't buy this, will I regret it? And that's, uh, okay, so the, yeah, regret influencing your decisions and FOMO. Just the last, this year's probably different, but when you think about the last couple years of investing and some of just the craziness that's gone on with meme stocks and the meme trade and, SPACs and all that. I mean, a lot of that was really driven by this. Oh, I'm going to miss out. So I'm going to get in where, you know, again, having the right behavior, buying good investments, 
those type of things are really what's going, you know, those type of things are going to drive you to be successful. And this year, does everyone maybe have some regrets about their portfolio because they're feeling some pain? Yeah, probably. But, you know, I, I know, I know over the long term, I'm, st I'm still bullish on the market, right? Or else I wouldn't be in this business. Number eight, get input from trusted advisors. The best thing you can do to make great financial decisions is surround yourself with people smarter than you or smarter on the subject matter than you. So good example, I have a CPA that I believe knows more about it than me. Could I do my own taxes? Yeah. Do I think they'd be done as well as this guy? No way. So yeah, absolutely not. You don't have, you don't have the time. If you don't, and, and most advisors in our industry, not just us, but most advisors have a team of people that they work with. Though That team may not be in-house with them, but they definitely have a team of attorneys and CPAs and accountants that they work with to help people with all the things that aren't in their specialty. So surround yourself with trusted advisors to help you make really good decisions financially. So here's a good line from this article. The ideal advisor is a person who likes you and doesn't care about your feelings. Well, that's, like that's kind of harsh, but I know we, I know we, we've talked before how, you know, at times we're not in the feelings business. We just have to deliver the information, uh, truly and honestly and accurately. Well, it, it's a little harsh to we're, say. We're in the feelings business. We have to like softly deliver bad news. But we're not in the business of sugarcoating to people whether they're going to be okay. Correct. Because if I do, I'm actually just, you know, getting a bigger problem. I'm creating a bigger problem if I do that because I'm letting them get away with bad behavior. And if they want to, fine, but I just have to make it aware. Clients are overspending. We let them know. It's referred to as the talk. I mean, we've had clients say, am I going to get the talk? And yeah. I don't, it's your money, you spend it how you want. But my job is to say, hey, look, the pattern you're on is not one of sustainability. So let's figure out how to either fix the problem or let's redo your plan and do whatever we need to do to make this sustainable. But in, in a lot of that is people not understanding their spending. They think they spend X, but they really spend more because they didn't spend the time budgeting. You made a comment earlier that, you know, some of the most successful people don't have to do a budget. And that's true because they have a really good handle on their spending internally. Like they just have a mental mindset of, Hey, this is what I spend. I don't have the urge to buy the one-off item. You know, the grocery store is not what gets you in trouble. It's Amazon and target online. Like, Oh man, I saw that for $37. I better buy that today. And by the end of the night, you just spent $400 on online shopping. Or in your case, maybe the most popular fishing, fishing lure. lure online store. Like if I get on those, I'm not going, I'm not coming out of that website empty handed. It's just, it's the likelihood of that happening is very, very low that I'm coming out empty handed. So I just need to stay off of there. But I personally have that like in my spending allocation, I know I'm going to spend X amount at those types of stores each month. Do you ever... When you're online shopping, do you ever put stuff in a cart and then not buy it? I, I've done that before. You have? My wife does that sometimes too, just because she enjoys online shopping, but she might not want to spend the money. So she'll put items in a cart, but then she won't buy it. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's I think. usually I get to the point and it's like, am I really going to spend that? So I, I did this with an item I recently purchased for my birthday, my birthday gift. 
um, there's this ultra lightweight uh, tree stand hunting setup. And I mean, this stuff is expensive, but it's top of the line. It's super lightweight. And I needed a tree stand, four climbing sticks, and a few accessories. And if I went and bought like normal stuff, cost you three or 400 bucks for all of it. Well, this is like $1,400. So I loaded the card up like six or seven times and didn't press the button. And You've then done that multiple times? Multiple times. I've had that cart loaded up, ready to go. I'm like, man, am I really going to spend? And then, you know me, usually I'll just pull the, pull the trigger. But this I actually really thought about. I'm like, man, I'm not sure I can uh, pull the trigger on this. And then I was like, you know what? It's my birthday. This is what I'm getting. I told my wife, don't buy me a birthday present. So I ended up buying it. But it was six or seven times loaded in the cart, sitting there. I really thought about it. I'm like, this is a lot of money to spend for one tree stand. But it's a mobile setup that arguably I'm not going to buy any more gear. So... While it might be three or four times more than another tree stand, I'm only going to buy one. I'm not going to buy six or seven or eight like you I've should, done in the past. You should only have to buy the one, I guess. Well, if you want to put it up and tear it down when you're going in. Right. But most most of the gear is too heavy, so it's a pain to take it in, set it up, tear it down. This is super lightweight, so it's not a hassle, and that's kind of why they get a premium for it. But Yes, I have put stuff in carts and walked away multiple times. Um, nine, automate. Automate things as much as you can. And so from a decision-making standpoint, in the finance world, this is really talking about automating your savings, do an automatic investment plan, pay your bills um, automatically. I know forever, I was a late adopter to like bill pay. Now they just automatically all come out of my bank account on the same day. I coincide with when I get paid. So on payday, I pay all my bills one time a month. Done for the whole month. And it's really nice because then I don't have to watch a bank account or do any of that stuff. Just one time a month, everything comes out of my account. You still send some checks for bills, don't you? Mm, very few. Not as much as you no, used I to. used to write checks for every single bill. And now I've got to where it's almost all bill pay. I always wanted the feeling like know what I'm paying for. When it just got to be too much. And I mean, once you actually set it up online, it's just really easy to do. It is very easy. Yep. Hey, Elias, what do you think about number 10? Don't over index on short term benefits. Well, that's kind of a complicated way of saying, uh, you know, don't don't overspend money today just on short term things like going out to eat and doing things um, that can cut into your saving and investing. So. And, and I'll say this, if you're doing, if you're doing the prudent things and you're responsible with your money, don't feel bad about living your life and going out to eat. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to be down to the penny on everything to build wealth and be successful, but you also can't be extreme where you're spending money on credit cards, have the lifestyle you want and doing those things because those are holes you're going to dig yourself in and then you're going to need a pretty big shovel to get out. So I, I think overall, number 10, um, the highlight for me is just make it a priority to and save and invest and also live your life at the same time. Number 11, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So a good way to kind of overcome your own emotions is take someone else. So I could take you, for example, and say, what would Elias do in this situation? You would ask yourself that? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's things, you know, what would Elias do? And and if you did that, 
then potentially it's a way to just overcome your own emotions. You'll feel better like saying, oh yeah, Elias would do that too. Like would Elias buy this salmon from New Pioneer Co-op to smoke on his grill for me? This is where he'd buy the salmon. Oh, oh well. yeah, he'd buy it from there. Well, then I'd feel good about buying it too. But I'm just going, man, Elias would never spend this kind of money to buy this. Maybe you'd, maybe you'd you know, think twice about your decision. Yeah, we, we should adopt that. The listeners should too. What would Eli do? Ask yourself that. We could have it be like a segment of the show, the Eli's Corner, what would Eli do? Listeners can send in and say, hey, what would Eli do? What would Eli do? There you go. And number 12 is set up um, rules to guide your decisions. So really, what, what in our world, there's only a few things you can do, but the rules could be, I'm going to have a financial plan. I'm going to adhere to the asset allocation that gives me the highest probability in, in retirement. I'm going to have an investment policy, policy statement, which actually defines investment goals, the strategies to achieve those goals, a framework for how we're going to make decisions, and then options for, for what to do with the things, or excuse me, options for what to do if things don't go as expected. That all comes back to that financial plan. So the first thing in here is have a holistic plan. That plan helps all of these decision-making rules come together. And if you're using, if you're using some sort of approach rules or a plan, whatever to guide decisions, I think, I think over the span of your life, you're going to make more good decisions than bad. And it doesn't take a whole lot of more good decisions to overcome maybe a mistake or a setback or a bad decision that you made. I actually think, I don't think I know I read, um, maybe you told me or I read it, but the most successful hedge fund of all time, they were right on their trades 51% of the time. So they were still wrong almost half the time, 49%. And they're considered the best hedge fund of all time. With that said, I think that's a great way to end the show. Um, appreciate you having me on again, Elias. Until next time, if you need any help, you can go to btwellshow.com. Thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.